You're listening to episode 290 of the Mindfulness-Based Weight Loss Podcast with me, Lucia Hawley. Welcome to the Mindfulness-Based Weight Loss Podcast, the show for women like you who have tried restrictive diet after diet and are ready for simple, thoughtful solutions to help you sustainably lose weight for the last time from a place of abundance and peace. If you're looking to end the yo-yo of comfort eating and rigid weight loss protocols and instead step into living your life mindfully on your terms while losing weight in the process, you're in the right place. Hello, hello, party people. I've got a interview for you today that I'm really thrilled to be sharing with you. Uh, two of the most popular science-based podcast episodes that I've done um, have been from, they're now a couple years old, and one was on insulin resistance and the other was on leptin resistance. And I know that a lot of you have shared with me that that information is really helpful to hear, but here's the thing. Now those episodes are a couple years old, who wants to go digging through the podcast archives in order to get those? So those are still resources for you, but when I heard about Dr. Morgan Nolte, I was like, wait a second, let's have a professional whose primary job is helping people to re-regulate their insulin resistance and leptin resistance and become insulin sensitive and leptin sensitive. Let's get her on the show. So uh, today I'm talking with Dr. Morgan, Morgan Nolte, and Morgan is a board certified clinical specialist in geriatric physical therapy. And really for her, she recognized that there was a lack of preventative education and care that is primarily focused on reversing risk factors instead of just treating symptoms for adults. Therefore, Dr. Nolte founded Zivli, which is an online course and a coaching program that helps adults reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention. And what's really key here, and, and it's something that I hope you hear threaded through every episode of the show, is that the reason that we're losing weight here, sure, have aesthetic reasons, have reasons based on your appearance and feeling confident in that area of your life. However, the primary reason that we lose weight and we have these conversations is to prevent disease and to help you live a strong, healthy life so that you are able to be that much more present in your day-to-day life and that you're that much more able to enjoy yourself. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Dr. Morgan Nolte and she will answer all of your questions regarding what insulin is, what leptin is, what it means to be resistant to both, and how we can regain our sensitivity no matter where we're at. So remember, there's always something you can do to help yourself feel even better. You're never stuck. And let's get into the show. All right, Dr. Morgan, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Lucia. Yeah, it's such a fun conversation. Again, we just spent like 10 minutes talking before I hit record. Mm-hmm. So time flies when you're having fun. Um, So I'd like for you first to share, before we jump into insulin resistance, leptin resistance, all that good stuff, if you share a little bit about your journey and how you came to coaching around these subjects and really helping adults just reclaim their health and wellness. Yeah. So my training is a geriatric physical therapist. um, And by doing that work, I saw a lot of end-stage disease, um, a lot of diabetes, heart disease, dementia, osteoarthritis, falls sarcopenia, and it's heartbreaking work. And it's really sad when you start to recognize that a lot of it can be prevented and that as a healthcare provider, we are spending so much time, energy, and money treating disease reactively. And I thought to myself over and over and over, if I could just work with these people 20 or 30 years sooner, 
they would have been so much better off. Their money would have been better spent. Their time and energy would have been, been better spent and they wouldn't need a geriatric physical therapist in the first place. So you can only think those kinds of thoughts so long before you want to do something about it. So I started my business, um, after I had my son and, uh, we have two kids, a five-year-old and three-year-old and, um, you know, it's just kind of grown from there, started with, um, one-on-one coaching in people's homes. And then, um, found myself repeating a lot of the same information about these basic health habits. Um, and so I built an online course business and that's kind of what I do today. And it all stems from insulin resistance because when I was in geriatric physical therapy, I'd be looking at people's charts to like prepare for their evaluation. And I noticed that there was always a cluster of things of altered cholesterol, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, cognitive impairment. Mm. And I said, well, that's weird. Why does everyone have all of these things in some level of manifestation? And it really comes down to insulin resistance. When I started, when I started studying disease on my own, it comes down plain, like point blank insulin resistance is really a root cause. If you're thinking of like a tree with a root system, it's the root. And then the branches that grow, the diseases that manifest really will depend on your lifestyle and genetics. But the big ones that I saw again, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, cognitive impairment. Those were the big ones. So that's why I got into this is to help people prevent those things. And I think it's so, you know, hearing you, I like the the image of the tree and hearing you talk mm-hmm. about that, because I think it's very, those conditions are really scary to hear about. I think a lot of people live in fear of, oh man, will I, it, it, it almost seems like it's not up to the individual if we aren't aware. So I love hearing that and you kind of simplifying that and boiling it down and getting reductionistic that like, if no matter what, let's just have you focus on this one thing, it's always going to do you well. So I think that's really heartening to hear because it's very scary to talk about health for a lot of people. It is, but I also think it's irresponsible for us not to, I think if we're turning a blind eye now, you're only hurting your future self. And so I think a lot of healthcare providers, number one, they're not practicing what they preach. So they don't have the self-confidence to talk about these things. Number two, they don't know about it. They're like, your doctor (laughs) is not taught about insulin resistance in school. And if they are, it's in the capacity of type two diabetes and what medication to prescribe, unless they go to functional medicine school or get continuing education, they're not well-versed in the lifestyle stuff that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So then let's jump in. Let's first, will you tell us what insulin is? Let's first start there and then we can move into resistance and sensitivity. Yeah. So insulin is a hormone made by your pancreas. It has a lot of jobs in the body, but the one that I focus on is its job or responsibility to help regulate your blood sugar. So when you eat, say a high carbohydrate meal, those carbs are broken down into glucose or sugar that's in your blood. And insulin is released to help shunt that sugar from your blood into your cells, because at any given moment in time in your five liters of blood, there's only about a teaspoon of sugar or four grams. So in comparison, there's 41 grams of sugar in a Pepsi. Mm -hmm. So if you drink that Pepsi, we're going from four grams to 44 grams. Well, those 41 grams need to go somewhere. And it's insulin's job to be sure that it gets out of the bloodstream because high levels of blood sugar is very inflammatory for your body and it will cause blood vessel damage. So that's why in type two diabetes, no organ is left untouched, retinopathy, neuropathy. It's all affected because everything needs blood. 
And if your blood is high in sugar, that will cause damage to your vessels. So insulin, um, I also like to call it your fat creation and storage hormone. You cannot create and store body fat without insulin. So without insulin, you have type one diabetes, type one diabetics don't make insulin. So they have to inject their own insulin. And before that was invented or discovered people with type one diabetes, they had the wasting disease. They wasted away because whatever food they ate could not get into their cells to be used for energy. So they peed it out. They had super high levels of, of blood sugar in their urine. Mm. Um, so insulin is a, it's not a bad guy. It's definitely, we need insulin to survive. Um, and its job essentially is to help sugar or energy get into our cells. Now the problem comes when we have high levels of blood sugar for a long time, right? Then we need high levels of insulin for a long time and high levels of anything over a long period of time will lead to resistance. So if you think about someone with, um, alcoholism, for example, they didn't get, you know, maybe they had their buzz after like their first drink or their first two drinks, but 20 years later, one or two drinks is nothing for them. They need something a lot stronger to get that same level of buzz. And insulin is similar in the, in the sense that when you're insulin sensitive, your pancreas doesn't need to make that much of it to regulate your blood sugars. So, but when your blood sugars are really high your cells are just like, I'm not listening to you anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of maxed out. Like there's no more room in here for glucose. You guys are going to have to go somewhere else. Um, so you become resistant to insulin, to the effects of insulin. And that's when we start to see more blood sugar in the bloodstream, right? <clears throat> that's when someone's diagnosed with prediabetes or type two diabetes is when we're actually insulin resistant. But the problem is that by the time someone's diagnosed with prediabetes, or type two diabetes, they've been insulin resistant for like 20 years because the research has shown that fasting insulin can predict type two diabetes up to 20 years before fasting glucose. Wow. We just like yeah. mic drop with that for a second right there. I think that's yeah. really important for people to hear that alone. Yeah. So if you don't know your fasting insulin level, please get it checked. You can go to our website, which I'm sure will be linked in the show notes and order your own fasting insulin test. You can ask your doctor to order you a fasting insulin test. They may look at you like you have two heads and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're all on the, we're all learning together, yeah. um, but get it done, please. Um, another way is a craft test. So instead of an oral glucose tolerance test, you can do a craft test, K-R-A-F-T. You take 75 grams of glucose. You have to do it in the lab. So it's kind of a time suck, but if you're really interested, then you, you get your glucose and insulin checked at a fasted state, 30 minutes after you drink the glucose, 60 minutes, one hours, two hours, maybe three, and then you get a glucose curve and an insulin curve. Mm. Now the glucose curve might still be in the normal range, but your insulin may be very elevated. And that's like the pre pre diabetes. So that's why I'm so passionate about insulin is because if I want to help you prevent disease, that's going to be one of the best markers that we can have because your blood sugars might be completely normal, but you might still be tired. You might have brain fog. You might have excess belly fat. You might have high blood sugar. You might have high triglycerides, but those blood sugars are still okay. Right? So do I have a problem? Yes. Check your <laughs> insulin. Yeah. So 
that's kind of insulin resistance in a nutshell. Yeah. And for the blood sugar levels, what is the range that would be helpful? And then what is the range that is showing, oh, wait a second, my blood sugar levels are not within the normal range. Yeah. So I recommend checking in a fasted state, um, not first thing in the morning. So maybe a couple hours after getting up, that's because your cortisol spikes first thing in the morning and that will spike your blood sugar. It's normal response. So wait a couple hours and then check it. Optimal is going to be around like 90 or less for fasting blood sugar milligrams per deciliter. And then normal quote unquote is 99 or less Mm. free diabetes is hundred to 125. And then diabetic is 126 or higher on two separate occasions. So there's also corresponding A1C levels. I'm not sure if I could tell you those off the top of my head of like normal versus pre-diabetic versus diabetic, but just look up like A1C cutoffs. And those would be what I would look for. So ideal optimal fasting glucose would be like around 90 or less. Yeah. And I like that you make the difference between ideal and the optimal versus the normal and that there is a difference there that we can be aware of too. And your doctor might not say anything to you, even if you are pre-diabetic. I always tell this story. I had a client, um, have a client and she said, you know, my doctor didn't tell me anything about my pre-diabetes. I had to look at my own labs, go back through my own labs. And I realized I was pre-diabetic for years And all her doctor did was write excellent on the top of her blood work. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about all sense of security. So doctors are looking for parameters where it's time to prescribe a medication and they're not going to do that until you're diabetic. So be, be aware of your own, of your own blood sugar numbers, of your own waist circumference, of your own triglycerides. It's, you know, of your own insulin we're at that point now where we have to be our own health advocate. Yeah, I agree. I see that a lot with clients as well. And I think it's so important for people also to hear these conversations, to understand that in this day and age, so many of us can do this. We're in a really beautiful age where we have the, you know, the technology we are able, of course, there's always going to be economic issues for some folks, of course, and we have to be aware of that, but the ability to go request a blood draw or to go to somewhere like quest diagnostics or if if your medical provider is really not being helpful, we have different avenues or your website as well, right? What you were saying yeah. before, we can do this. And I always tell my clients, like, it's going to be step by step. You don't have to know the full, like, end game, end game point. You can just take the step of saying, I am being curious, right? Of saying, like, I can want to know what my blood sugar levels are today. And I can start the ball rolling. Yep. And a continuous glucose monitor can be a really helpful tool. I think it's a little bit more of an advanced tool. I wouldn't recommend somebody get that just right off the bat without knowing anything. Cause you're going to be overwhelmed by the data. There's a lot of data points. If you're going to be doing, putting that on your arm. Yep. And then let's, before we then get into like lifestyle factors and, you know, it, this conversation can get really big. Let's first switch gears. And now I want to hear kind of the same idea, but with leptin. So what is leptin? And now let's talk about resistance and then sensitivity. Okay. So leptin is a hormone and you might have more to add to this. I'd be really curious because I know that you like to learn about this too. Um, I describe leptin as it's the hormone made by your fat cells when you have fat. So the more fat you have, the more leptin your fat cells can produce, right? So similar to insulin resistance, if you have high levels of leptin due to a high amount of body fat over time, 
you're going to develop leptin resistance. And the problem here comes from something I call a body set weight, um, which is like the normal weight that your body tends to maintain, right? Or a normal healthy weight. So when your body set weight is working, here's what happens. Your ghrelin or your hunger hormone goes up and tells you to eat. So you eat. And then when you eat, your insulin goes up. And then when your insulin goes up, the nutrients that you just ate are shunted into your fat stores or used, but let's say some of it's stored as fat. So when that fat is stored, leptin will go up. When leptin goes up, that inhibits ghrelin and ghrelin doesn't go up. But with leptin resistance, that inhibit that inhibition of ghrelin is broken. So your fat goes up, but your hunger doesn't go down. And that's really the key with leptin resistance is they have altered satiety. And so they're hungry, even though their body has plenty of fat that they could be using for fuel, but that sent that signal is not getting to the brain. That's like, Hey, I'm full. I have enough fat. Please stop eating. So I can use some of this, some of this energy. Um, do you have anything to add to that? I would just add from my firsthand experience of having childhood obesity and really having way more body fat than I do now. I remember feeling, I was like, what's wrong with me? And I didn't know anything about insulin or leptin then, right? Mm -hmm. Like even, you know, that's still like newer within the 10 plus years for me around leptin. But I remember having such a big appetite and being like, I know I'm getting enough food, but I don't feel full, right? Mm -hmm. And as a kid, your job is just to eat until you're full. So it's, I think it's interesting just from like almost that social emotional standpoint of being like, what's wrong? And then now understanding, oh my gosh, like I also tell clients this, our body fat is a, it's a secondary endocrine organ. So yes. it's hormonally active. And here's a beautiful yeah. example of almost like a primary hormone that it really is like having an impact on your day-to-day -day life. And I think that's why something like a calorie deficit, I talk about macros, I talk about calories. It's helpful to understand that, but it's also our bodies aren't broken. If the idea of something like a calorie deficit feels like, oh my God, I would be so starving with yeah. a moderate calorie deficit. It's because, yeah, we probably need to take a little bit of time to get there because you're, as you're getting there, you're going to be regaining that leptin sensitivity. And I think that's a really key part that also makes it less personal. You know, it's just, this is how our bodies yeah. are responding. Well, and it's interesting because we're talking about, okay, well, what do I do about leptin resistance? Well, you fix the insulin resistance and then your hunger kind of normalizes. Um, I also think your cravings normalize too. I don't know if you experienced that. One of our, I had office hours today with our Zibli members. And at the time of this recording, it's right after Thanksgiving. And I said, any insights or you know, experiences people want to share. And one of them was like, you know, I don't know what's happened to me, but I do not crave sugar. Like <laughs> I used to, I like got a little bit of every dessert and I had some of it and I didn't have some of it. And I was just like, this just doesn't do it for me anymore. And so because she's improving her insulin sensitivity, I think her carb cravings are going down, right? Because her cells aren't starving for energy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What are you like? Did you experience more carb and sugar cravings as a child or do you oh, still yeah. struggle with that? Oh yeah. No, tons of carb and sugar cravings. And also I think in retrospect, a lot of blood sugar highs and blood sugar lows mm -hmm. and being in the blood sugar low is really stressful. And <laughs> your body naturally is going to say, give me quick energy, like get me out of the stressful state, right? It's making your little adrenal glands pump hard. So for sure, I had that experience as well, that once the insulin sensitivity came back on board, as to the leptin, as losing the weight happened, right? 
I know I said this when we chatted before, but I think it's just so important to share over and over. It felt so much easier to make healthy choices, right? It wasn't about making healthy choices to be a healthy person. It was, oh, this feels good. I want to eat the vegetables. Right. I want to eat the protein. I want a dessert, but a portion now satisfies me yes. versus, oh my God, get me the food. I'm. It really does. It can feel like you're starving and that's horrible. Well, and you made up a really, like a really good point there. I do believe that we shift at some point in our behavior change from this is something I need to do, or this is something I should do to this is something that I want to do. Yeah. And what a beautiful shift that is, right? Because I think then that motivation comes not from a sense of guilt or shame or, you know, shooting, um, but a, a true desire to do it because, you know, you feel better like that. And I think the holidays are such a beautiful example of that. Like if people do overeat or they eat more carbs than normal or more sugar and they're like, oh, I was so inflamed. And like, this was really good <laughs> negative reinforcement for me to continue my healthy lifestyle. <laughs> totally. Versus being like, oh my God, I ate too much. I am a bad person or making it personal. No, just saying like, yeah, I now know how good my body can feel. And I want more of that. That is so motivating. Yeah. Yep. And don't you think people just get used to feeling bad and yeah. then start to be healthy, but they don't realize how subtle the changes are until they like go back or they have an exception meal or they have some sugar and they're like, holy moly, I don't feel good anymore. Um, <laughs> totally. so it's good negative reinforcement. It, yeah. Yeah. And it's okay to have those experiences. I've also, I've had clients who've gotten so worried about like a holiday meal or a yeah. vacation where it's like, it's okay. You like, you want to have vacations in your life. You want to go on holidays and, you know, eat delicious meals where you might have some carbs. Great. These are parts of life. Like life doesn't pause while we're regaining our health. We have to figure out how to do it. So it's okay that you might stumble a little bit because you're probably going to learn something if you continue to stay curious while you yeah. have that little stumble. Yeah. Have a growth mindset. I think another thing that's come up a lot lately is catastrophizing language. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I just got so off track or I really screwed up or I blew it um, or I was really crappy at it. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How <laughs> can we, how can we shift that language? How can we neutralize the language and have more neutral dialect around food internally? That's going to help you so much in the long term. just changing that internal conversation with yourself around food, viewing everything as a learning opportunity and a growth experience instead of, oh, I screwed up again. No, yeah. you something. It's fine. And often too, I feel like when people say, oh my God, I screwed up or I was so bad. And then you really dig in, you're like, well, what happened? Right. Yes. Like, okay. You had two desserts instead of one. And like you were, or you didn't maybe like you weren't intentional about your eating. Like it's not actually the end of the world. <laughs> it's true. Yes. One member was like, I felt so out of control. And I was like, what made you feel that way? I got a second plate of food. Okay did you have dessert? She's like, yeah, I had a half of a half of a piece of pumpkin pie. I was like, oh, well you were so out of control. You know, I'm just kind of bringing a little bit of lightheartedness. Like you did, you're doing better than you think you're doing here. Yeah. yeah. I always, I used to run group nutrition classes in person when I was first doing nutrition. So maybe like nine years ago or something. And this one group nutrition class, right. I always would run it and the first week it was just an introduction week. The second, there was like a three week kind of nutrition challenge that people would do in the middle of the, of the five week course. And of course, at some point I'd run enough of the courses, there would always be someone who'd come in and we do a check-in at the beginning of each you know weekly session. And there'd always be someone who'd come in at like week three or week four and hang their head and be like, oh, I messed up. And yeah. I was so bad. This happened, same thing. And 
I would always do the same thing. We're like, get out of here. <laughs> You're booted out. <laughs> Is that what you want? Like, don't worry about it. It's all part yep. of it. We're all human. And I think that's really necessary to hear especially around these subjects where again yeah. it, we start to realize like whoa this is on me right so we want to take it seriously but also I think we do need that levity to remember I'm going to I'm going to mess up and that's going to be part of it I can't be a perfectionist and I'm learning something new no yep no great points yeah so then okay so now that we know about what leptin is what insulin is sensitivity uh, resistance now I want to talk about how do we become more insulin sensitive now that we have that basic understanding what are some of those first steps that we can do yeah I think I think the first thing is understanding all the levers that you have to pull to lower insulin which is really empowering especially if people are trying to lose weight and they're used to getting the advice of like eat less exercise more because it's all about calories and calories out well that gives you two levers that gives you the calories in and the calories out <laughs> um, but when we're focusing on more of the insulin model of obesity um, you have a lot so I really start with stress management and sleep first, because if you are not stressed out and if you're sleeping well, it's way easier to change your movement and your diet. So the four pillars that I talk about are nutrition, including what you eat and when you eat, mm. a physical activity, stress, sleep, and they're all on the foundation of mindset. Cause if your mindset is crummy, you're not going to see any long-term change. So, um, I think when we're talking about, do you want me to kind of break down each of them? Yeah, I love that. Okay. So from a mindset standpoint, I think it's important to recognize you have to know what you want, not just what you don't want. Oh, I don't want to be so tired. I don't want to, I don't want to be overweight anymore. I, okay. All this is what you don't want. Tell me what you do want. I want a vibrant, healthy body that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want in. I want to feel confident in my choices. I want to feel in control around food. Great. So I won't get too deep into the mindset stuff, but we have to figure out what you want, why you want it and how you want to feel. So after we do that, um, I really recommend people reinforce that to themselves on a daily basis. So read your wellness vision statement, whatever you want to call it, read it every day. Um, I think again, I don't want to go too far down mindset, but we can, if you want to. Um, happy to do that. But I think that helps with stress management because with stress, right? Emotional stress, uh, physical stress, metabolic stress, any stress on your body will raise your cortisol, which is your stress hormone. And when cortisol goes up, glucose goes up because from a physio, like from a physiological standpoint, when you're stressed out, your body thinks that you're going to have to fight or flee a situation. So your glucose goes up so that that energy is readily available for your muscles to soak in so that you can move your body. But if you're not moving your body, the only other way that that insulin can get into the cells is insulin. So if you're stressed out from like a kid crying or emails, um, or your boss is super demanding, whatever it is, if you're not letting that out in some sort of physical activity routine, your insulin's going up. Yeah. And so a lot of women that I work with are like, I don't know what's happening. I'm eating well and I'm exercising and I'm not losing weight. Well, there's a lot that we can unpack there on what eating well really means, but how's your stress? Oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out. I'm like, well, you're probably not going to be able to lower your insulin very much to lose the body fat. 
if you're still stressed out. We got to work on the cortisol. So sleep really plays into that as well because chronic sleep deprivation is a form of stress on the body. And sleep has a couple other really important things when it comes to weight management. The first is it recharges your, it recharges your willpower and your self-control. And so if you are sleep deprived, it is so much harder to follow through on your nutrition plan. And then physio, like from a, from a physical standpoint, your hunger hormones, your sense of hunger will be higher. So I don't know about you, but on a, after a bad night of sleep, I'm much more likely to emotionally eat. I have worse carb cravings. So I think really dialing in the stress management and the sleep is important and will make everything else easier. Yeah. So, and I th- that's integral okay. to know. I, and yeah. that's something I talk about with my clients. I had a client who um, would every quarter or so would go to London to visit family. And after a couple, you know, we've been working together for a while. After a couple of those trips, she was like, I don't get why, you know, the, the, the first full day I'm in London, why do I want all the cookies and the pastries and the, you know, the this and the that? It's like, it's normal. You're jet lagged, right? It's not something bad. Your body doesn't do anything wrong. It just isn't getting energy from its sleep because sleep has been disturbed. So it's looking for energy from somewhere else. So I think that's just such a great point that you bring up. It's a really good way to say it too. It didn't get energy from sleep. So it's looking for energy somewhere else. That's very, that's a really good way to say it. I'm probably going to steal that someday. Do it. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it makes it really straightforward. And again, I'll just also add in before we talk about the other pillars. Um, it's so useful to remember that our brains are in our bodies. So our brain is responding to insulin. Like what we're talking about, the emotions, not getting enough sleep, being stressed out. Well, so often, right. We talk about, okay, I need emotional support. Go to a psychologist, get therapy. Yes. We love that, but let's not forget. It's also an organ in our body. So of course it's going to be affected. It's going to be part of that um, cycle. Yeah. I think we, we ultimately have to find the solutions on the inside. I think maybe we we have a book or we have a counselor or we have someone who offers us insight that the work is internal. The work to reduce our stress is, is really internal with our thoughts. So those are two of my big passions, really sleep and stress. And we can get into strategies on how to improve those if you want. But the other two pillars are physical activity. And so when it comes to an insulin standpoint, the, the most important thing I recommend is moderate to high intensity strength training, all major muscle groups, at least twice a week, twice a week is usually sufficient if it's a well-designed program. So what that means is either like a total body workout for strength, um, twice a week, or like a split, like arm day and core day, and then leg day, and then rest day, and then arm day and core day, and then leg day. So that should be the cornerstone. I see a lot of people just doing cardio, playing pickleball or walking, neglecting strength training. Um, but that doesn't set your muscles up for long-term success. Strength training is very important to build and maintain your muscle mass. The more muscle you have, the more insulin sensitivity you can have, meaning the lower amount of insulin resistance. So yeah, walking's good. Pickleball is good, but it's more, it's, it's more so the benefit of the stress management than anything else. So lowering the cortisol, releasing the endorphins. So, um, really anchoring your physical activity program and strength training is good. And then if you're going to build on that, you can like add a walk after meals, especially high carb meals. That's a really great way to lower that blood sugar and insulin response after a meal. So there's other forms of activity that are important, especially like flexibility, mobility, um, that can be done more on a daily basis, but a lot of people are just not strength training. So I yeah. said, invest in a trainer, start <laughs> there. 
it's not that hard. And I don't know who said it, but someone said famous, you know, it's really the simple things that will make us successful. And the simple things are not hard to do. Um, but it's very easy to skip them or something like that, but they're, it's very, it's also easy not to do them. So they're not hard to do, but they're, but it's also easy to not do them. Cause I think in the moment they don't feel, it, it doesn't feel sexy to do a workout mm. and be like, Oh, my muscles didn't grow. Right. You're not going to see like big Popeye muscles after doing one workout. It takes the consistency of continuing to show up and then their power is in, it's like, I would use this example of brushing your teeth. Okay. You brush your teeth once. Cool. But the power is that you brush your teeth every day and then it's exponential in how it's supporting you. Same thing with these basic healthy habits of sleeping well, understanding that you do have stress and that you can manage it. You might need to make some lifestyle changes with your stress or just your understanding of your stress reactions and process. And then, so let's talk about, well, okay, before we talk about the food, I do have a question. How would you tell someone, or how would you help someone understand what moderate to high intensity is yeah. for someone who's newer okay. to strength training? Good question. So what that means is you can judge it by repetitions uh, to fatigue. So mm -hmm. if you're doing push-ups, for example, how many push-ups can you do before you can't do another one with good form? Okay. So some people are like, I don't can't do one pushup. Okay. <laughs> yeah, think yeah. about a wall. <laughs> think about doing wall pushups or like incline pushups on a couch. So we want to do if you're doing like 12 to 15, you could even make it simple and go 10 to 15 reps uh, before you get to like, I cannot do one more. That's moderate intensity. High intensity would be more like five to 10 repetitions. And then you're like, I can't do any more. So we want that moderate to high range when you're starting, obviously a lighter intensity is okay, but really pretty quickly, once you get used to the breathing and the form and you're comfortable, we want to bump it up to that moderate to high intensity. That's where you're going to see the most gains. It's most effective. Yeah. And again, just to re reiterate for people, the reason that the strength training, one of the many reasons is because our muscles, they're almost like sponges for insulin. So yes, cardiovascular activity, doing the pickleball, walking, beautiful stress reduction, just getting your muscles moving. We're meant to move. That's what humans did. We moved all the time. Sitting is not our norm, right? For long periods of time. But then think of the impact of having an even bigger leg muscle, quad muscle as you're walking or doing that pickleball and what that is then leveraging in terms of insulin sensitivity. Yep. Yep. I liked uh, the, the garage analogy too. Like the, the bigger the garage, the more cars you can fit in that garage without having to park them in the parking lot. So yeah. the garage is the muscle. The parking lot is your fat cells. Yeah. The, the more muscle mass you have, the more glucose you can store in there in the form of glycogen before it gets shunted off to fat cells, especially if there's a demand for it through exercise. Yeah. Beautiful. And then let's talk about the last pillar, which is the food and nutrition. Yeah. So with that, I think it's important to really break it down into macronutrients, which I know you talk about yeah. carbohydrates, proteins, fats, um, from an insulin standpoint, I like to break it down. There's three types of carbohydrates. So there's the starches, the fibers, the sugars. And if we're talking about the simple sugars, the glucose, the fructose, the galactose, the glucose, many, like many molecules of glucose bonded together would be the starch. So there's different types of starches, uh, amylose and amylopectin. So amylopectin is more of the branched 
starch like a tree. And so if you think about it, the enzymes that digest the glucose can do so from multiple points and it can go faster. But the amylose starch is just like a stick with two ends. So there's only two ends where the glucose can be kind of chewed up and dissolved. So amylopectin starches are things like the white rice, the white bread, um, the white pasta. And then the amylose starches are things like the beans, the lentils, um, the oats, you know, darker types of starches. So the darker types of starches are actually going to be healthier from a blood sugar and insulin response compared to the white ones, simply because they have a different molecular configuration of glucose. So one, but in general, when you eat starches and sugars, your blood glucose is going to spike, which means your blood insulin is going to spike, but fiber does not have that same effect. So fiber found in foods actually slows the blood glucose and the insulin response. So that's why fiber, I think it should be a cornerstone of every meal in some way, shape or form. Um, now when we're talking about protein, protein does have a moderate insulin response. The trade-off is worth it. And it's not nearly as high as the carbohydrate response. So for protein, I really recommend one gram per pound of ideal body weight. And ideal doesn't mean like what you think is realistic. Ideal is like, look at a BMI chart, look at the green zone and tell me what, what that number is. And there are some nuances, right? Like the big old football players, if you're muscle builder, like obviously they have way more muscle mass. They're going to need a way higher amount of protein than what like a normal weight is on a BMI chart. But for the average, you know, everyday woman trying to lose weight, if you want to be 120 pounds, 130 pounds, aim for 120 or 130 grams of protein. I recommend evenly spacing that out in your meals. So a lot of women are having like a low protein breakfast from like oatmeal, or maybe they have a little yogurt or a couple eggs. That's not a robust enough amount of amino acids, which are the building blocks and the protein to really support healthy muscle mass. And there's been a lot of research shown on what's the best diet to maintain lean muscle mass as I lose weight. Cause that means you're going to maintain a higher metabolic rate when you, when you've lost weight and be more likely to keep it off. And the research unequivocally shows a high protein diet is the best way to maintain your lean muscle mass when you're losing weight. And so that's why I recommend that. Um, not only that, but it's going to help keep you satiated. It's going to help create that. It's going to make the, the sustained energy deficit a lot easier. Um, because it stimulates a horm- like the GLP one, which is kind of, it's a gut hormone. It helps you feel full right. protein helps you feel full. So if you eat, if you want to be in an energy deficit, eat protein so that you can be full and not hungry <laughs> and miserable when you're losing weight. Uh, can't say that enough. Um, now from a fat standpoint, fats have the lowest insulin response, but not all fats are created equally. So we really want to bias our fat intake towards the monounsaturated or omega-9 fatty acids and olives and avocados and their oils. Um, and then unprocessed omega-6 fatty acids, which are a polyunsaturated fat. So the omega-6 and omega-3s are the polyunsaturated fats, unprocessed omega-6 and omega-3s are great. Um, the omega sixes would be in like the nuts and seeds, almonds, walnuts, pistachios, pecans, those kinds of things. 
but the processed omega-6 oils are going to be highly inflammatory. And so that's why when you're eating a lot of processed foods, you're getting a lot of soybean oil, canola oil, safflower oil. Those are going to be high in, um, the processed omega-6 fatty acids, which are inflammatory and inflammation will drive insulin resistance. So that's why we really want to keep those fats down. The other type of fat would be omega-3. Um, those can be found in plant sources and animal sources, but the plant sources like the flax seeds, um, I believe chia seeds might be one as well. Those have a really low conversion rate. So those are ALA. That's one form of omega-3. And that has a really low conversion rate to EPA and DHA, which are the anti-inflammatory types of omega-3s. So if you're just eating a lot of omega-3s because you think it's good because they're anti-inflammatory, not so much if they're coming from the plant because there's a low conversion rate. You have to have a very high quantity or maybe like a, a plant-based supplement, if you will. Yeah. Um, so fatty fish, blue-green algae, those are all good sources of the omega-3 fatty acids. And then when you're thinking about diet composition, like, okay, well, how do I eat to lose weight and keep it off? Because you can eat a lot of different ways to lose weight, not so much to lose weight and keep it off. It yeah. Really the takes... sustainability part is so key. It's, it's not sexy, but it's key. <laughs> it's key. And so I don't recommend a strict, like a super low calorie deficit. I think most people find that just miserable and unsustainable. I don't even do that. I say, don't lose weight if you're not going to do it for the rest of your life. Like if you're not going to do this specific program for the rest of your life, if you're not going to eat this way for the rest of your life, don't do it. Mm -hmm. I think the only, the only key difference there is like in tracking. If people want to learn about their macronutrients, I think short-term tracking can be helpful to learn about what's in your food feedback or like a continuous glucose monitor. Like those are going to be like tools along the journey versus like, I have to do this for the rest of my life. So figure out your calorie level, 12 to 13 calories per pound of quote unquote, ideal body weight. Um, so if you're like 250 pounds and your goal is 200 pounds, use the more ideal body weight, which is probably maybe like 150, 140, 150 times 12 and a half. That would be like your calorie goal for the day. Um, there are apps. I use the carb manager. I know chronometer is another good app that can do that kind of for you automatically set a goal of like one, like a half pound to one pound of weight loss per week. That's going to probably put you in that range of like 12 to 13 calories per pound of ideal body weight. So figure out your energy need, then figure out your protein need one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. From there, figure out your fiber. If you're a woman aim for 25 grams, if you're male, 35 grams, um, and then from there, you can fill in with the starches and the fats based on your activity levels. If you're very active, you're going to be able to tolerate more carbohydrates. Most people I work with exercise a little bit, but not very much. So we bias more of their calories towards the healthy fats. Cause those are going to keep insulin lower compared to a higher carbohydrate diet. Um, and they're also just, they, they kind of they seem to be more satiated. Fats are very satiating. Mm -hmm. So they find it just a more enjoyable lifestyle than like a low fat diet. Yeah. So that would be from a nutrition standpoint. Um, intermittent fasting is a great tool, but it's not necessarily at all where I start more than a 12 hour fast. I think, um, it's gotten kind of hot, you know, a hot topic. Um, and I think that 
it's a really awesome tool. It's a really powerful tool, but it's not a cure-all. And it's certainly not something that people should jump into if they don't have other lifestyle habits dialed in. It's not going to be the most sustainable thing if that's the one habit that you practice. It's like, to me, it's like a cherry on top, like added in when everything else feels really stable. Yeah. I think, and again, it's, it's so powerful to reverse insulin resistance because, well, you're just not, you're not eating. So you're not stimulating your, you're not raising your glucose. So you don't need insulin. So you give insulin the chance to really drop. You give your body the chance to use its own fat stores because you can't burn fat if insulin's constantly high. So it's, it's physiologically, like from a science standpoint, yes, it's an awesome tool. But from a psychological standpoint, for a lot of women, it triggers feelings of restriction and rebound eating. So it's, it's more like, okay, it's a strategy. It's a tool, but how can we strategically work it in? And I recommend 12 to 14 hours of fasting every day as a starting place, because that'll cut the late night stacking habit um, and help with sleep and all those things. So that's kind of the rundown of the nutrition. And I think the 12 to 14 hours is very reasonable. You know, it's like, if you think about being done with eating by 8 PM, that's very feasible for most people. And if you're an exception, then, okay, you probably need more support. Um, and you're seeking that support out and then not eating until about 8 AM. Beautiful. That's very straightforward. I think for a lot of people and, and makes that, I think the term fasting, because it's gotten so hot, you think it's going to be the long-term fasting and like over a 72 hour fast and really stressful it shouldn't be stressful. If anything, it should be the opposite for your body. Yeah. It's just a break. It's a break for your digestive system and it's fine and it's totally healthy. And I think a lot of people start this journey of like, oh no, I have insulin resistance and I need to lose weight or, oh, I just need to lose weight. And they go to the quick fixes or they see what's worked for their friend. Oh, I'm just going to go on keto or I'm just going to do a 24 hour fast. It's like, Oh my goodness. You're focusing on the wrong goal. (laughs) The goal is not to lose weight. Yeah. (laughs) The goal is to lose weight and keep it off. And this requires a different strategy and a different mindset. And that's okay. That it's slower. I always like to say like the longest way to any destination is to take all the shortcuts. Mm, I love that. It's so true. And you, you lose out on the snowball effect of that consistency that we were talking about for for the exercise or for sleep. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that's all going to snowball. Same with the diet nutrition and with losing the weight. If you're losing a pound every week and it's so darn sustainable that you can easily do it for a year. Great. There's 52 pounds, no longer in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. That's powerful. Yeah. But when people get impatient and they don't have the right mindset, and they're like, oh, it's not coming off. So it's not working for me. Or, oh, I, I only lost a half a pound this week. So it's not working. It's like, like a half pound. It's amazing. <laughs> that's why everything is on the foundation of mindset. Cause we have to address these crummy thoughts that are leading to self-sabotaging behaviors that are leading to the impatience that are leading to the negative self-talk that are leading to the negative emotions that continually drive emotional eating that lead to poor boundaries and all this stuff, because ugh, if I, I like the pillar analogy, cause it's like, if you have a crummy mindset, the pillars fall down, life will happen. You're going to, a family emergency will come, the holidays come. And if you don't have a strong mindset, your habits will not, will not be sustainable. You like, they're going to fall over. Your sleep's going to be a wreck. Your diet's going to be a wreck. And I don't want to say a wreck because I don't want people to think like that. 
but that's but how they be really think. challenging. That's yeah. how they think. Yeah. yeah. And if you tie it back into being insulin resistant and you're really trying to address that, it's going to feel like you're, you know, two steps, one step forward, two or three steps backwards. And then that's going to reinforce that crummy mindset as well. Yes. It's, it's just, it's really all about mindset. And once you have a strong mindset, then the strategy is so much easier to implement. But like you said, I think part of the, part of the beauty of losing weight, part of the beauty of living a low insulin lifestyle, like you said, is the consistency and who you become along the way. Like my cousin, for example, she's lost 30 pounds and she's been, she's been working at it for a good five years, probably if if not more. And I said, don't you think the internal change is just as good as the external change? And she was like, oh yeah, like I am a lot more resilient to stress. I have a lot more self-confidence. I have a lot more pride in myself to like follow, follow through on what I say I'm going to do. And so those are all of the benefits, the internal benefits to losing weight that increase self-confidence and self-esteem that people don't always see. And no, do, they, like, they, they have it backwards. I think so yeah. often it's like, once I lose the weight, then I'll feel confident. Cause then I'll be, you know, really in my body versus, oh, doing all the things that get me in my body, then the weight comes off as a result of that. And now I feel great. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing, did you experience something like that or some of that when you lost your weight? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It was like, cool. The weight's coming off. Like, again, I was so young that I was like, oh, I can do this. I had a lot of like nutrition learning that I was happening at the same time, but very much it was like, cool. I, my body reflects how good I feel in it now. And before it reflected that. And, but I was, I had it backwards. I was making it really personal, right? There's something wrong with me. My body's broken, blah, blah, blah. So for sure it, it all kind of, again, and whenever we have those ideas of like, oh my God, I got to work my mindset. That's also where I just like to bring it back. Your brain is an organ. Of course you need to work on your mindset. That's okay. Yeah. We're working on our muscles. That's why we strength train. That. Beautiful. No big deal. No one like that doesn't mean you're broken, that your mindset needs to shift. Not yeah. a problem. I love that analogy. Yes, it's an organ. So we work it like other organs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um Zivli, your program, because this is where those pillars are within, right? That's where you're doing the coaching. Yeah. So Zivli is our online course and coaching program. Uh, Ziv means to live in Croatian. And then the LI stands for low insulin and low inflammation lifestyle. And so it's an eight week online course uh, with weekly group coaching. Uh, we really recommend people to view the first eight weeks as a learning experience. Um, it's not like a quick fix approach. Like we are teaching you in-depth education on nutrition, on intermittent fasting, sleep, stress, physical activity, habit change, mindset, limiting thoughts, um, all the things. There's so much awesome education in there. Um, and then we provide the support along the way to really help coach you through the behavior changes. And then it's lifetime access, lifetime support. So we have ongoing office hours for our members to come and ask questions. And um, it's just a really lovely community, mostly women, mostly postmenopausal women, um, you know, who they just put other people ahead of their own health for so long. And then they were like, oh my gosh, like it is my turn. It's my time. And so those are, those are really the people that we love to work with people who are committed to being the best version of themselves so that they can have that ripple effect on their family, um, to impact their kids and their grandkids and just be there and show up and, 
Um, that's who we love to work with. And yeah, it's, it's a labor of love as you know, (laughs) and we open enrollment a few times a year. So our next open enrollment, I don't know when this is going to go live, but our next open enrollment is January of 2024. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and this will go live in December. So this will be beautiful timing with that. Um, and I think just one thing I want to say for that, cause that's also a lot of my clients as well as someone who's also like perimenopausal and like, just feel like getting walloped by their hormones. Like what is going on? I don't have patience to like, I, I can't avoid this anymore, or I can't like put myself on the back burner anymore. Mm-hmm. And something I always share with them too, is like, okay, by you paying attention to yourself, it doesn't, it might feel like you're taking ten- attention away from other people because this is now a different habit. But like you just said, there's going to be a ripple effect. Of mm-hmm. course, your family's going to benefit from you being taken care of. Like it's only really good stuff that's going to happen. And I like to say, what example are you setting? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not taking care of yourself and you have daughters, if you're a yes person and you're always saying yes to everybody else, your daughters are watching you and your daughters will then inherit <laughs> for better or worse, um, those, those, they probably will, those tendencies to not have boundaries, to not make exercise a priority, to not make healthy nutrition a priority. The sooner you can get your stuff figured out, the sooner you start to have that ripple effect, or maybe your spouse. So many people, they want to positively, they're like, I want my spouse to change their eating habits, but I don't know what to tell them. I don't know how to do it. And so we actually have, um, like you can do the program with your spouse. They can go through it Mm -hmm. with you. It's really great. Um, to have that partner support, but man, I think that, you know, if not, if not you, then who, like no one can put food in your mouth. No one can go to the gym, but you, and I am so passionate about this. I have a five-year-old and I have a three-year-old and they see me exercise and they see me eat healthy. And then I know families where the mom doesn't exercise and the mom doesn't eat healthy and the children follow suit. And then the children have, you know, issues, a lot of issues because of that. So I really think the mom, the matriarch is the cornerstone of the health habits for the family. And it can never like that can't start too soon. I've worked with clients who have worked with me and then their daughters work with me. Oh, super cool. That's amazing. um, Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to share a little bit more about that. Oh yeah, of course. And also tell us, and again, everything will be linked up in the show notes, but you also have a podcast and a yeah. YouTube channel. So share with us a little bit about those as well. Yes. Yeah. This is a podcast swap. So I got to interview you on my show. I don't know when that one's going live yet. Not till 2024. Uh, it's called reshape your health. And we talk a lot about the science and the strategy, but also the mindset of long-term weight loss and insulin resistance. Um, my YouTube channel is an excellent resource. It's at like just Dr. Morgan Ulti, comma Zibli. We have an insulin resistance for beginners playlist on there. That's really well designed to help you understand insulin resistance. What are the signs and symptoms? How do I test for it? How do I eat for it? And how do I move for it? So I would really suggest someone start there. And then we have a free ultimate food guide too Mm -hmm. on our website. That's a really helpful resource. Um, I think the other thing to mention since it's going live, um, in December is we have a free training coming up on like five big mistakes that sabotage weight loss after menopause. So if people are in that phase of life, I think that that training will be really helpful for them. Yeah. Don't do the crash diets. I mean, I don't know what's on there, but don't do the crash diets folks. (laughs) Not worth it, especially in the holidays even. No, 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 (laughs) no, 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 no. So I really appreciate you allowing me to share a little bit more about that. Yeah. 
Well, and thank you so much for coming on the show. And I just yeah. feel like, you know, takeaways from the, everyone's going to have their own takeaways, but I feel like my takeaways from the show are so much that it's like, you get to be in charge of your health. It's okay that our healthcare system is like completely messed up and priorities are very much backwards. They're great at acute stuff and not at chronic stuff. Okay, like let's get it and then move on. And as we've been talking about, this information is actually simple and it's an execution that might not feel easy at first, but it's very doable. So I really appreciate your breakdown of the pillars and really laying it out. There's only a couple of things you have to focus on and then it's just learning how to rinse and repeat it. And I think that's really powerful for people to hear. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you found this interview helpful. I hope the listeners did as well. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Hey, if you love today's show, I'd love for you to take a minute and give a rating with a review. If you too are ready for more women to make life choices from loving mindfulness, that means we need more women listening to this message so they know it's available to them and they can do it too. And if you're ready yourself, come coach with me where we'll work together and you'll learn how to take this process to the next level in your wellness goals, life desires, and beyond. Go to luciahawley.com. That's L-U-C-I-A-H-A-W-L-E-Y.com to connect.